Hi, my name is Arnav Verstogi, and this is Satvich Shrinivas. And together, we are co-hosts of the Backfield Drift. Thank you for tuning in. And in week six, Satvik, we saw a lot of statements being made. Some statement wins, some statement performances, and even a statement trade this week. Yeah. A lot of action in the NFL. Let's get right into it, man. Yeah, I think if we're talking about statement wins, we got to start with the Jets going to Lambeau on the road, pulling off not just a win, but a con- convincing 27-10 to 10 upset over the Packers. Yeah, and, and I really want to like sort of escape this win and look at this bigger Jets rebuild picture. And this game is more emblematic of the story of the Jets and how they have been consistently bad over the past few seasons. But accumulating draft picks and developing them into stars like you know Rob and uh, is, I'm going to focus on Robert Sala and the development of the defense because that played a huge role in this game right the way the Jets have just stayed with the process and focused on player development accumulating talent this game is really emblematic of that pain off right you talk about Quinn and Williams right coming in and now establishing himself as one of the top young defensive players in the league two sacks on Aaron Rodgers this week an incredible amount of pressures not by him but that entire D-line as a whole, John Franklin Myers was there. So this Jets D-line and the defense as a whole has just evolved. You know, Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed, excellent lockdown coverage across the board, right? And even on the offensive side, we saw these draft picks play out, right? Brees Hall, 20 carries, 116 yards and a touchdown. That was the main offensive motor for the Jets here. It's just, it's just, it's just a story, man. The New York Jets—they're just a story. Accumulating talent, player development. This is, this is the true rebuild. And now the Jets are seeing, seeing the dividends pay off from it. Yeah, and then, you know, it's starting to sound like uh, how you were explaining it a lot, like the uh, process, right? Uh, trust the process. But the Jets <laughs> so is kind stop of... stopping us a lot about the process. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, uh, it's a little rough, but in in, the, in this case, you know, for the Jets, it appears to be working out, and. Watching the game, one thing that stood out, right, with Zach Wilson, he didn't need to be crazy. Like, he didn't need to do none of those, like, cross-body throws, being, you know, this, like, that elite passer he was at BYU. Things were just in place where Brees Hall was going off, defense was playing really well. And that's a great place to be as a quarterback where you can just kind of run the ship, you know. And as a young quarterback, this is the first time we're really seeing Zach Wilson have that support he needs. And – He's looking good. I think yeah. everything's pointing in the right direction for this team. Yeah. I mean, I mean, he only had to attempt 18 passes. Mm. Just 18. Yeah. Right? And so you look at that as a young rookie quarterback, you're not pressured to do well, right? We see rookie quarterbacks across the league struggle. And it's generally because they're on talent devoid teams and all the pressure is on them to just carry the team, perform really well. But that's not possible. But now when you look at the Jets, you see that, Zach Wilson isn't the main guy, right? It's now the rushing attack, right? Brees Hall, that is the focal point of your offense. So now Zach Wilson can sort of sit back and say, you know, he doesn't have that much pressure. So he can take his time, understand what he needs to do. And I guess it it gives you confidence and a relaxed feeling as a quarterback. And like keeping yourself in check emotionally and mentally as a quarterback is the biggest thing. And having the confidence for Zach Wilson to say, you know, he's not, he's not, he doesn't have the pressure that he needs to do well. He just needs to make a few key passes and the team will do well. That is the biggest thing of anything for a quarterback like Zach Wilson's development. Yeah. Another quarterback that has developed a lot, Daniel Jones, 
the Giants pulling off another upset. They keep coming for the Giants against the Ravens. And what do you make of this? Because you were not too high on the Giants last week. It's a table effect, man. It's a table effect. It's got, it's got a this name is what, now. This is what. Uh, let me tell you this. This is what coaching does. This is what coaching. We we saw it. We're seeing it down in Jacksonville, right? The the, the difference that moving from Urban Meyer to Doug Peterson makes. And and this is the difference. This is the difference from moving to Joe Judge to Brian Dable. Brian Dable simply knows how to run an offense and develop quarterbacks. He developed Josh Allen. Mm. And now he's teaching Daniel Jones how to be a franchise quarterback. And I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to jump ship and say Daniel Jones is the guy in New York because New York could as easily as they could stick with Daniel Jones, they could look for a quarterback next year. Like that is still there. But in the current circumstance, Daniel Jones is playing extremely well. He has fixed some of his pocket awareness issues. And although he is a bit inaccurate, he looks comfortable in that Dable offense. Right. And I think it's very similar to what we were talking about with Zach Wilson, where Daniel Jones doesn't need to do anything crazy right now. Like, it's it's easy. It's I mean, I don't want to say playing quarterback is never easy, but it's with easier. Than, right. It's, it's been a lot easier than it has been in the past. And I think that really is the formula for success, right? As a football team, if you want to have success, you need to be hitting all, all cylinders. You can't have one guy needing to carry you, one guy having it all on his shoulders. And the teams that are successful right now, like the Jets and Giants, and you could throw the Eagles in there or whatever, but they're attacking on all fronts. And that's that's what's... <laughs> Bro, bro, really snuck in the Eagles. <laughs> I mean, we can't, we can't, we can't really bring them into this episode because they've already made statement wins. Like, we don't need to keep throwing that. So, you know, we're just, just, you know, it is what it is. Like, uh, one of those top teams in the league. Speaking of quarterbacks, Geno Smith has been on fire this season, Zavik. I mean, he he has been electric. Looks comfortable in that Seattle Shane Waldron led offense. What do you think about his season so far? No, we've been talking about the Jets and Giants making statement wins. This man's making a statement season. You know, pe- people wrote him off. He has not written back, and he does not play to man. He's just playing. And I think there's like a lot of throws. Like I understand that a lot of people don't watch Seahawks football right now because they're not you know on your prime time games. But there's been like some throws that he makes. One of them that comes to mind, I believe it was against Atlanta. He's rolling left. And he, if, if Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen makes that throw, we're talking about it for like two weeks on ESPN Sports Center. But Geno Smith is just making these plays where I think he deserves a lot more credit than what he's been getting like throughout his career. Maybe it's like I don't want to overreact again, but I'm just seeing a lot of good, and we gotta we gotta acknowledge that Geno Smith is playing an ex- exceptional quarterback right now. I hate to jinx things, but as of now, I think he's the, I think he's in the MVP conversation. I don't know, man. Like no one's gonna, no one's gonna put him there just because of the way. I think know? okay. I think he's a dark horse MVP candidate. He would I think if MVP. Seattle sneaks into the playoffs, you have to include him in the conversation. You have to. Sure. I mean, if that's gonna have to happen, and the other thing is like he's gonna have to put up crazy numbers, man. Like because you know Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, they're just always gonna be in that conversation. So if you want to get up with them. He's going to have to have like weekly 300 yards, three teams. Listen, listen, he's top 10 in yards and top 10 in touchdowns thrown. He has the fourth best QBR in the entire NFL, and he's the most accurate passer in the NFL. Right. I think that warrants MVP consideration, at least. At least put him in the top 10 MVP candidates. 
MVP is not top ten, bro. It's top. You gotta be top one. <laughs> it's, it's top one, but right now, I th- I think he deserves to be in the conversation. That's, fair. That's He's fair. not That's being fair. mentioned. Right. That's fair. That's fair. We can mention. But you know what's more important than winning the MVP? It's winning football games, and the Seattle Seahawks are doing a lot of that. I think a lot of it has to do with Shane Waldron in this offense. What do you see there? Yeah, Shane Waldron. You know, he is. He's been. He's from the Sean McVay tree, uh, legendary tree. He was there in 2017 with that amazing offense, Jared Goff led offense. He's, he was there as a quarterbacks coach uh, with Matthew Stafford and really drove him and helped Matthew Stafford turn into a Super Bowl champion. He has been with some historic Ram offenses and coming over to Seattle, I think he is the key, right? Because he's bringing over uh, Sean McVay's zone run style scheme, that West, that Western quarterback style, you know, gunslinger type style. And, and Geno Smith is really... It's, he's working into perfection. Like that Seattle offense is perfect for that system. You have Kenneth Walker, even Rashad Penny could fulfill that role. You see them put, both putting up numbers weekly, right? And then Geno Smith, he's comfortable. He's play action out of the shotgun. He, he can do whatever he wants, right? And, and so Shane Waldron, and, and, and when you look at the Rams offense now, you look at why it's performing so bad. I think Shane Waldron is the key. He's coming over to Seattle. He's doing some amazing things helping Geno Smith. I think he deserves the head coaching consideration next next year with what he's done with Geno. And it is just incredible the difference that Shane Waldron has made. All right, Arno. We, we, we've been talking about a lot of statement wins, statement seasons, in fact, but I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers just had a statement loss. Yeah, Savik, this is the healthiest the Bucks offense has looked since week one, if not healthier, because Chris Godwin's ACL is up to game speed. And really, it, it it looks like a complete drop-off. It, just a complete drop-off. And I'm not even going to go ahead and blame offensive line losses. It's because it's not even the offensive line. Tom Brady and these receivers, sometimes they don't look like they're on the same page. Leonard Fournette is it, it's, it's just it's not rushing the ball very, very effectively to the point where it's taking pressure off of Tom Brady, right? And this offense doesn't look like a cohesive unit. So I, I don't really know what the difference has been from this year to last year. It's just, it, it, it looks like a sudden drop-off for some reason. And going into Pittsburgh, they completely, they, they, they just laid an egg. And coming, they're coming back, you know, three and three at the top of the NFC South. But they don't feel like a three or two, three. They don't feel like a three or three team, nor do they feel like the fourth seed in the playoffs. This, this offense does not look good in any regard right now yeah and i think um with the buccaneers if you're looking at them over the past two three years right they've had a lot of continuity struggle like 2020 started off really rough then you go on win that super bowl and then last year you're kind of in the zone now we're here at 2022 at this point I, I think an interesting point if you kind of think about just brady the brady gronk connection has always been something that has been like a stronghold of the offense right I know Gronk's been in and out, but if you think about like the last season for Brady in New England, he didn't have a reliable target because Gronk didn't play that year. And then we we saw what he was able to do. And I'm not saying it just has to be Gronk, right? But I'm saying like there needs to be one guy that's like your go-to guy. You know, every team has one. You know, you... it was supposed to be, in my opinion, Chris Godwin. Mike Evans was a red zone t- target, but Chris Godwin was the guy that he would go to like normally. Like yeah. that, it was Chris Godwin. But everyone is healthy. I, I don't understand. I don't even think it's continuity, dude. I think they have the continuity. Mm. I, 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 are, are we witnessing Tom Brady's the cliff? That cliff that Max Kellerman was talking about a few years ago? Is this the cliff? I don't know. With, 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 with Brady 
I'll I'll just I just wait until I see the actual retirement and like he stays at home not playing on Sundays. <laughs> but I don't know, you know, I'll I don't know if I've seen the physical decline. Maybe it's like the, the numbers are not there, but I think you still rip the football unless something changed overnight. But I I don't want to say this is a cliff yet, but it's, we're gonna learn a lot, right? In the, over the next ten weeks, whatever is left in the regular season. And with the and way the NFC looks, like the Bucks could very easily sneak into the playoffs, and we're having this whole conversation about could Brady win another ring? And there's not much to sneak. <laughs> it is division. The NFC South is one of the weakest divisions in the in the entire league. So, right. so it's a it's an overt process. I don't have to know. I <laughs> <laughs> never know. You know, maybe your uh, Saints make a little comeback. Uh, we'll see. I, I'm I'm not gonna say anything. They've looked. They've lost two win. The Saints, like, they're not even a bad team. They, that Cardinals game, they were fully in control until Dalton threw that red zone pick. Even yeah. the Bengals game, they were fully in control. Just, they're a good team, but we, we'll see if they can make a run. They got a really tough schedule ahead of them. And moving from statement losses, let's talk about the statement trade that went down just, just, just yesterday. CMC to the 49ers. What do you make of this? Because now the news headlines are reading Super Bowl or bus in San Francisco. And I, I don't know how you feel about that right now. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't feel very comfortable with that headline that you just brought up. But I, I'm going to just you know, spill my thoughts. We can talk about this. But before this trade, they're not in the conversation, right? They're not. Christian McCaffrey is a phenomenal player. But does adding one piece all of a sudden make you a Super Bowl contender? I think it does. I, I think in CMC's case, it does. CMC is a rare case of just a superstar player going. I think the one thing that backs your claim up that, you know, I don't know if this is a Super Bowl team, health. The 49ers have been the most injured team uh, aside from the Ravens over the past couple of years. Right? This team is not prone to staying healthy. And, and I guess in that regard, CMC is a perfect ad because he seems to not be on the field more than he's on the field. He's just, it's just, he has a knack for staying on the sideline. But if CMC is able to stay healthy and not fit into this 49ers mantra or mold of getting injured every three weeks, I, I think this team has a shot because CMC is the dynamic element that he adds with Debo, with George Kittle. Th- this offense lethal. They have their, their ceiling is the best offense in the league. Yeah. Right? So, and with that ceiling, Plus the defense that you have with the leading sacker in the NFL, Nick Bosa, right? You have Arik Armstead, Jerron Kinlaw, I can go on and on, Fred Warner, right? That defense is fine. And offensively, if their ceiling is the best defense in the league, I don't see why not they can't make Super Bowl. Health is the only thing. The 49ers' health is the thing that's holding them back. And that's why I don't feel comfortable with the Super Bowl or bust headline. All right. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to have a little fun here. But So what you're telling me right now is I need to prepare myself to watch another Jimmy Garoppolo getting carried into the deep end of the postseason. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. That's that's what you need to do. And then and then the cycle will repeat. Where next year, next offseason, they're like, Jimmy, you're on the trade block. Trey Lance is our starter. Who knows? Maybe they end up trading Jimmy G and blowing their chances of making the playoffs at all with Trey Lance. But all right, since since we're since we're having this conversation, like I'm gonna let's extend it for just like thirty more seconds. If they win a Super Bowl, what the damn hell do you do if you're John Lynch? <laughs> dude, dude, I 
What what do I even say at this point? It's just it, 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 Trey Lance is then a wasted pick. Like I'm not gonna lie, but Trey Lance is a trade piece at this point. Mm. I feel bad. For I, him, I think man. that because because if how do you defend trading Jimmy G at that point? You can't. You can't. You can't. But I think I think if health is the only thing holding the 49ers back, that's all I'll say. If they're able to stay healthy, I think they're a Super Bowl team. But I I I, I just can't see that. I can't see that. What's up? All right. Maybe CMC has a better uh, injury lookout with the 49ers because they have they have more of a running back by committee. Like I still think Jeff Wilson will be involved, Elijah Mitchell when he comes back. So maybe CMC gets like enough touches where he can make an impact, but also not that many touches to the point where he's just a workhorse getting injured every few games. All right. Now we're talking about the Niners. Let's let's look ahead to Week Seven. The Chiefs head into San Francisco. It's probably the one of the better matchups of the week. What do you expect here? <clears throat> this is a Chiefs team that's coming off a tough loss against the Bills. And it's it's not a team loss. The loss is really on Patrick Mahomes. Mm. It, and I, I hate to put it that way, but let me just say this. If Patrick Mahomes doesn't pl- throw that pick and Patrick Mahomes, like the Chiefs offense had enough time on the clock to go down and make something happen. Easily. But Patrick Mahomes simply misread it and threw a boneheaded pick. And I think if you want to put the loss on anyone, I think the first blame has to be Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. And yeah. I think as history has taught me, or at least watching Drew Brees has taught me, when you when a good quarterback loses a game and it's on him, he's get he gets really pissed off. And Nothing scares me more than an angry Chiefs offense. And the Niners can do whatever they want. I don't know if they're going to do anything against that Chiefs offense. I don't know if they're going to be able to keep pace with this Chiefs offense. Because that boneheaded loss to the Bills, well, it might have cost them home field advantage looking in the future. Right? Nothing scares me more than an angry Patrick Mahomes. It doesn't matter what the Niners do. They're not going to be able to keep pace with the Chiefs' offense. Give me the give me the Chiefs on the road. I'm taking the Chiefs too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's not a lot, but I think it's going to be interesting, you know, to see how McCaffrey's going to fit in. Maybe they really get him going, or maybe it's a slow transition. But the thing you can make the argument of, right? If the Four Niners are quote unquote Super Bowl or bust, this game barely is be competitive, man. Like if, if they get if they get rolled, then like what what the San Francisco Chronicle reported was they're gonna use McCaffrey and red zone packages. Mm. So we'll get to see how McCaffrey is incorporated into this offense in the red zone. But if the 49ers want ha- have to have any chance, the red zone package is not the only package that Christian McCaffrey needs to be included in. Because yeah. they're gonna need all the help they can get to beat this Chiefs offense. Yeah. All right, let's take a look at another matchup. That's pretty crucial here. Week seven, the Titans and Colts, their second matchup of the season. This could determine a lot when we're talking about who gets the tiebreaker, you know, for the division. What are you thinking? Remember how I said it takes one game to get you in a roll? Mm-hmm. I think that game was the Jaguars, man. Okay. You look at Michael Pittman putting up the numbers he did. And then a complimentary receiver like Alec Pierce, who's developing the rookie out of Cincinnati, developing connection with uh, Matt Ryan. And now you have Jonathan Taylor coming back this week. I think this offense is in a rhythm right now. I think they're in a groove. I mean, even outside Jonathan Taylor, Deion Jackson, who, by the way, 
wonders for my fantasy team. 28 <laughs> points out of nowhere. But uh, he is also a very viable receiving back who adds another element to this offense. I think they're in a role, and I'm going to take them to beat the Titans in Tennessee. I think it takes one game. It just takes one game to get in a rhythm. And now that Matt Ryan and that Colts offense is in a rhythm, I have no questions about that defense. I think it's go time. I th- I think I think the Colts have this. This is this is this is their game to lose right now. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. I, I I said at the beginning of the year, this is their division to lose, and this is a crucial divisional game that's gonna have implications in the future. Which is why I'm also gonna say I think this is equivalent to saying this is the Colts game to lose. Hey, I'm uh, I'm going with the Titans. Here's what I think. Right. Um, it's not that I disagree with anything you said. But I do believe that the Titans are the better football team. I don't know what I'm getting week to week from either of these teams, right? It's it's, it's the AFC South. It's, it's it's volatile, to say right? Honest. Right. But Titans at home, you know, if you get pre- we've seen this constantly. If you get pressure on Matt Ryan, you're gonna have a lot of success. I think the Titans can do that. We saw from the first matchup. It's a toss up, right? But Titans at home, I th- I personally think they're the better football team. Maybe not by a lot, but. There's not a lot there, right? Anything could happen, but I'm going to go with Titans. Maybe Derrick Henry. It's another, you know, uh, Colts crusher in this uh, <laughs> repertoire, but we'll see. Listen, I'm sticking with my preseason pick. I, I think this this, this this is a must win for the Colts, and I, I think they're on a roll right now. So moving into upset of the week, Savic, we're both sitting at two and four. Mm. I'm, I'm actually, I'm doing better than I was last season. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm just happy. I'll get um, to you. But. We we are both sitting at two and four. Who do you like to this week? Do you think you think you're gonna improve to three and four with this pick? Honestly, I got no clue, man. Like this week is it's like nothing. You can just close your eyes, pick something, hope it works out. But I'm going I'm going Seahawks over the Chargers. Okay. You know, we 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 hyped up my boy Gino, but like very deservedly so. I'm uh I'm gonna take him this week. I really think the Chargers were against okay, against the Broncos. The Broncos defense was very good, but Chargers offense was like it wasn't it wasn't a threat. It was it was good, but I think I definitely think the Seahawks defense can handle the Chargers offense. But at the same time, you know, we've seen the Seahawks defense have really bad days against teams like the Lions. So it is possible that basically maybe the Chargers just purely outscore the Seahawks here. But if it gets into a shootout, I don't know. The Seahawks have been pretty good with those games. So this is not me very confidently saying the Seahawks are going to win this. It's not a uh, it's not a statement pick, but <laughs> it could be another statement win for the Seahawks. I could see that just because Keenan Allen, I think he's going to wait till the Chargers buy week eight and then come back week nine. So without Keenan Allen, I think I think there's always going to be a question mark in the Chargers offense, which even which is in a shootout, I can definitely see the Seahawks keeping pace with the Chargers. Um, but I think it ultimately in that regard will come down to which defense can make a stop and can you really trust the worst defense in the league that that's the only reason that's what stops me from picking this game is i i just i i think the chargers defense can come up with more stops than the seahawks can yeah that's fair yeah what do you what do you got this week yeah i think i think this week i think i got a pretty good shot with the, the jaguars against the giants jaguars are favored by uh three points so so give me the jaguars um Listen, the Giants have been playing extremely well, but uh, a similar logic uh, to the the game where I picked the Commanders over the Eagles is when you start hearing a little bit too much chatter 
a little too much playoff chatter. Team sitting on his high horse. I think they're vulnerable. And going into Jacksonville especially, Trevor Lawrence has been exceptionally efficient. Uh, I think Christian Kirk is in line to have a big day. And I think that Saquon will be held in check this game, putting pressure on Daniel Jones. And this Jaguars rush defense, they're top five. Devin Lloyd and uh, Fosayed Alquan, I think that's how you say his name. Though That linebacker tandem has been exceptional. I think if they are able to shut down or limit Saquon Barkley, which I think they can, it puts more pressure on Daniel Jones. And, well, Daniel Jones doesn't do well against pressure, both physically and metaphorically. So give me the Jaguars at home. I'm I, I'm rolling with this. I'm taking, I'm taking Jaguars money line on my parlay this Sunday as well. I'm all in, baby. I think, I think we're seeing the anti-New York Giants theme here, but I want I, I, you know you had a, a little monologue there, a lot of a lot of talk about what you expect, but I think there's a little flaw in your argument, and and you set yourself up for this. It's not even me. You, you talked about your logic for picking the Commanders over the Eagles week two. How'd that work out for you? That it didn't work out, <laughs> hey, but the logic still remains. I think I think okay, the, the Commanders the, the will flawed, be the Commanders. The, flawed logic. the Commanders will be the Commanders. But the Jaguars have a better shot at beating the Giants and the Commanders had at beating the Eagles. All right. The, you have to admit that at least. The, the, they do. I don't know, man. We'll see. We'll see. Um, I, guess, I guess the theme here is I'm, I'm going with a, the worst defense in the NFL and Arnav is going with the flawed logic. So it's a, <laughs> so it's a great way to end this episode. But I don't know. Man. Week seven, always NFL. Should be interesting. We'll see. Maybe Christian McCaffrey surprises some people, makes some magic happen for the fantasy owners. But with that being said, thank you for listening to the 86th episode of the Backfield Rift. Be sure to tune in to our next episode where we'll recap the week seven action and look ahead to week eight. Until then, it's been Sotvik Srinivas and Arnav Stogie. Stay safe and take care.